0: Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Genesis 12, beginning at verse 1.
1: The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me one more time as we come to God's word? Ask him to come and to be at work in our hearts through his powerful word. Let's pray together. Father, we pause here for these few moments and we just, we still and quiet our hearts before you. Lord, we open ourselves to you and we just ask you in this moment. Lord, come and speak to us. We need to have our hearts lifted. We need more than anything else to see your glory. So let us see your glory in this passage so that we're changed, so that we are moved, so that we are lifted up out of ourselves and our circumstances, and so that we come to hope and trust in you, the one that is reigning and ruling over all things. Come and work in us, your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So kids, a quick question for you this morning. Do you like to do, like, uh, roller coasters and big rides like that? Anybody know that kind of thing? Let's see one back there. Okay, there's a few daredevils in here. Um, when I was young, I was not into that. I mean, I wanted to be into that, but I was, like, scared of it. I'm not, by nature, a daredevil of any strike. And so sometimes I'd want to get up on one of those rides, and then I'd freak out. You ever had that experience or at least seen other people do that? And I remember this one really tragic memory. I was probably, you know, I, was, I want to say I was like 8. I might have been like 15. But I, I, we're going to say I was 8 years old, okay? And so I was with my dad and my stepmom and my stepbrothers and stepsister, and we were down at Whitewater, okay? You know, Whitewater, this big water park in Atlanta, and at Whitewater at that time, there was this slide you could see from all over the state of Georgia called the Dragon's Tail. I don't know if anybody ever hit this thing, but it was scary. It was very scary, and it was just like, it was like four slides side by side, and it just did this for about 10 miles downhill. <laughs> and the whole time I was there, I just kept seeing it my my step-siblings had, you know, done it like 10 times and I was like I got to do this thing I don't want to but I got to make myself do it. So, I convinced my stepmom to get in line with me and go to the Dragon's Tail. Well, the line was like 3 days long. So we're waiting in this thing and waiting, you know, you're climbing as you're waiting. And you're getting higher and higher and you start to begin to think to yourself, what am I about to do here? This is not smart. I need to turn back. And while you're, you know, very slowly moving to the point of death, you're seeing people turn around. You're seeing kids, you know, get up there at the very edge of it and be like, no, you know. And, and the parents are fighting with them and they're mad and they grab the kid and walk off. And, and I don't want that to happen, but I'm, I'm afraid. I think that's what's going to happen to me. And I'm looking, I don't know if you ever do this, when I get on these things, I'm like inspecting the construction. I'm looking at bolts and I'm like, is that tight? That looks loose there. I want to go work that over a little bit. So finally, I get up to the moment of truth, looking out over all the city of Atlanta. I'm about to get on this slide and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. It's not happening. You know, all the lines behind me and they're like, Just like, go, go, go. And my stepmom was worse than any of them. She was like, you get on there. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't. And I get to the point, and they're trying to push me. She's trying to push me onto it. I'm like a cat. (laughs) You ever tried to put a cat in a pet carrier? It ain't happening. There's like fingernails everywhere. That was me. And the guy running the slide comes up. He tries the different approach. He's trying to coach me, you know. This will be so much fun. You can trust us. This is a safe ride. We see people go down it all the time. You're just, just go. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. And I'm like, not believing him. He's not trustworthy to me. His promises were empty to me. Finally, my stepmom's done, and she just puts the foot in the back. She's like, you're going. There I go. You know, of course, you get down to the end of it, and you're like, that was amazing. You know, it always happens that way. So I was thinking about that experience, reliving the trauma. And I was thinking, that's the Christian life in so many ways. That's how the Christian life starts. And here's how. The Christian life really starts with this place where you're really forced to a crisis moment. Where God is calling you to go and step into something and let go of control. You know, the guy's trying to coach me to go on this slide and he says, just let go. Just let go. You know, that's how it all starts with the Christian life. God's got to come to you and he's got to say, listen, you got to let go of everything. And you don't know where it's going to go. I'm not going to tell you everything that's ahead, but you got to trust me. And even after you start the Christian life, there are so many moments and experiences where you come right back to that moment and God is saying, you got to let go. you got to give up control. you got to give those things that you're just clinging to for security and identity and meaning in your life. you got to give that to me and it's the only way and you just got to trust me. And what's the reality so often in those moments? We want to lock up. We want to say, but I can't be sure. We get stuck in those places. Sometimes we just kind of ride the fence forever. We look for another way out, and sometimes we turn back. That's the reality of the Christian life. This morning, we're coming, and we're going to start a new series on the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham is so significant for the story of the whole Bible. I mean, it comes right here at the very beginning in chapter 12 of the first book in Genesis, But everything that comes after this is building off of Abraham. This one man and his story. But you know, as we look at Abraham's story, it's not just a a far-off, distant, historical story. Abraham's story is our story. That's what the whole rest of the Bible says. It's what the New Testament says. As we're looking at Abraham's life, we're looking at our life. We're looking at the Christian life. Abraham's life is a model. For what does it look like to enter a relationship with God and to walk with Him throughout a life? So as we look at Abraham, we're learning how do we walk with God. It's a tremendous model for us. So Abraham is our story. In our passage today, we're going to see the call. This is our story. It begins with a call. A call, the promise, and the mission. That's what we'll see in this story in Abraham. So Genesis 12... What we see here, probably in most of your translations, the heading is, The Call of Abraham. So God comes to Abraham and he calls him. Now that's significant, not to pass by at that point. As you look at the story, as you read just before and just after, you get the sense, I mean, Abraham will go on to do amazing things in his life. Abraham's like this this candle that's flickering in a world of darkness as you come through the first Uh, 11 chapters of Genesis. Ever since Genesis 3, the world has been spiraling further and further down under the weight of sin. And literally, the hope of, of a people who would follow God is just flickering out. And then here comes Abraham on the scene. And so as we look at Abraham's life, we might think, wow, what a great, wonderful guy. But here's the reality about Abraham. The significance of his life is not anything in him. It all started with God coming and calling him. And that's significant. Abraham wasn't looking for God. It wasn't that he was in some special pedigree of a family. It wasn't that he was just naturally inclined to be a religious guy. It wasn't any of those things. There was nothing in Abraham that was so special to say because of what he's got, because of who he is, he's going to go on to do these great things. Everything that happens to Abraham happens because of this. God comes and calls him. It starts with God. You see, that's the reality for the Christian life. You have to be called. That's where it all starts. Christianity is not saying, hey, adopt this lifestyle, uh, follow these rules, you know, be a good person... That's not in essence what Christianity is. What Christianity is, is that someone is called by God. He breaks in on your life. He comes in. He disrupts you. He calls you out of something into himself. And listen, apart from that, we will never know him. That's freeing. At at, at first, that's offensive to our pride. We say, wait a minute. No, no, this is me. This is something I'm choosing to do. But we only choose because he first chooses and calls us. And once you finally get to that point, it's freeing. It's freeing for your own life because you realize, I didn't start this thing He did. It's also freeing as we think about our children, as we think about people in our life that we long to come to know the Lord. It's so freeing to know, you know, it's important that I'm pursuing them and, 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 and ministering to them, but at the end of the day, God's got to call them. God's got to break in on a person's life and says, follow me. And that's what happens with Abraham. That's what a calling is. So what do we see about Abraham's calling in this passage? What is the nature of it? As we look at his his calling, verse 1, we see that God's call is absolutely radical. Look at what he says to Abraham. Verse 1, he comes, the Lord comes, he says to Abraham, and I'm just saying, by the way, you see Abram there? I'm saying Abraham because God later changes his name to Abraham. Abram means father, and Abraham means father of many nations. So it's kind of like the difference between daddy and big daddy, okay? So we're just going to go with Abraham for short. So God comes to Abraham, and he says, look at what he says to him. Look at this call, and just notice how total and radical it is for him. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. He doesn't know God. But yet God comes and calls to him, and he says, leave everything. The Hebrew there for leave, it actually says, get out. God comes to Abraham, and he says, get out. Get away from everything that you've got. Leave it all behind. Look at what he categorizes in that call. Your country, your people, your father's household. That was everything for a person in the ancient world. Your country? That was your identity. That was your, pe- your, your people, your family, your father's household. This was a collective society. That's where you got your identity. That was everything. Who are you? Well, I'm Terah's son. This is my family. This is who I am to be a part of this. In this place, the significance of a land and a place was so huge for them. And yet God comes to him in all of these other allegiances in his life that were ultimate for him. For an ancient person, your allegiance to your parents and your family and your place was number one in your life. And God comes to Abraham and he says, get out. Leave it all behind. And I want you to go to a place... That I'll show you later. What a radical call. What would that have been like. For Abraham. You see this is the reality of God's call. Always. To every single person. When God comes to you. To call you to himself. It's always this radical. God always comes to you and says get out. From everything that you are holding dear, everything that you are looking to for your identity, everything in your life that is of ultimate priority, get out. Leave it behind. And enter into a life that you don't know where it's going, I'll show you later. That's the significance of the Christian life. I mean, think about the words of Jesus so often in his ministry. As he would, as he would preach to people and he would call them. He would say, follow me. But he was constantly saying, here's what follow me looks like. That's a calling. Follow me. But when you follow me, Jesus was very clear. Here's what it looks like. If anybody would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. So cross in that context means like an execution device. He's saying, you got to die. If you want to follow me, you've got to die to everything. He says, anybody who loves mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you feel the weight of that if you're a parent today? That's probably the most significant one in our culture. Is to say that God would come to us, even with our children. Even to those things that are most precious to us and he would say, get out leave it geographically wait a minute are we saying that to become a christian means you got to move somewhere else you got to go be a missionary it always involves geographically moving no of course not sometimes but what does it mean it means with everything dear in your life you got to do this you got to get out you got to say it's on the table it's not ultimate in my life and you see god won't take Anything less. When God comes and calls us, it is a radical calling. See, we want to say, can I just bring God into my life in some ways? You know, I want to incorporate God into my life because, you know, a well-balanced life needs to have a spiritual component to it. and, And I want God to play a role in my life. And I want to invite Jesus into my life. And he says, no, 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 you don't invite me into your life. I invite you into my life. It's critical to get. Because in America, we want to say, I want to have my whole life, my whole well-balanced life, and I'm going to determine where I go and what I do. I'm going to determine what belongs to me. This is all mine. And then, God, I want you to be in my life, but you can't touch all of this. And God comes into your life always, whether you're stepping in or you know Him, and He says, get out. Get out. And go to a place I will show you. It's a radical calling. That is the nature of the Christian life. But there's not just a call. There's a promise. Anytime God comes and calls us, it's not just a blind calling. It always involves God promising himself to us. And that's what he does, right? He calls Abraham, and then he gives him these astounding promises. Now, just pause there for a minute. Think about that. God is a God who makes promises to us. That's astounding. That's in His character. That's who He is. God who needs nothing, who doesn't need anything from us, His life's not, you know, partially complete, and He needs us to come in and give Him something. He needs nothing, but yet chooses to obligate and lock Himself in to promises He makes to us. I mean, we know, we we like to avoid making promises. We like to avoid making commitments because something better might come. God's not like that. At the beginning of the relationship, God comes and says, I promise myself to you. When God enters into a relationship with a person, and it only works this way, it starts with a promise. God doesn't say, hey, let's date a little bit. Let's check this thing out. I want to see if you're, you know, up to what I'm looking for. I'm going to see how you handle this. And we'll just kind of see how the relationship goes. He doesn't do that. He comes at the beginning and he says, leave everything and I promise myself to you forever. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. You know what the Bible calls that? A covenant. And the most vivid picture we have of that in the world is marriage. Marriage starts with two people. Saying, I don't know what's coming, but I promise myself to you no matter what. That's at the essence of who God is. So, what does he promise to Abraham? Well, it's not hard to see the word that keeps getting repeated in the promise here in verse 2 I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What's the common word there? Bless. Five times in three verses. Now, that's a huge concept, this this sense of blessing. You know, we kind of think, oh, bless their heart, you know. we, We throw that around. In Genesis, it's a huge concept. It should take us back to the creation account. When God has made this beautiful world, and He blesses it. And He blesses it. And he blesses it. It's kind of like God putting his favor on something. Putting his pleasure into something so that it causes it to grow and to flourish and to multiply. When you begin to think about blessing in that way, you begin to, as you think about your own life, you say, this is really all I want. I want God's blessing to flourish in all the ways that he's created me to. That's what's entailed with blessing. But it's even specific here. Some very concrete ways. It's not just a spiritual sense of blessing. It's a very concrete physical blessing. That is also entailed in this. Look at specifically what he says. I will make you into a great nation. This is one man. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. You know. In the previous story. In the story of Babel. They're trying to make a name for themselves. And God frustrates that. We're all trying to make a name for ourselves. You know, we're trying to build this reputation and construct this image. And yet, really the only way to, ha- to, to make a name for yourself is to get a name from God. And God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a name. Which you most deeply long for. A great name. And through you I will bless all peoples of the earth. We'll get to that in a second. But we get this this fullness of this blessing that God's going to do all of these incredible things through Abraham. Now think about this. What do you think that that sounded like to Abraham? I'm going to make all the things that you long for, I'm going to make it come to pass in your life. You're going to become a great nation. We see later he says, I'm going to make your offspring, your seed, your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Think about this. God is saying this to a 75-year-old man. We're told very clearly in the passage. And just before 12.1, he says that his wife, Sarah, was barren. She's also in her 70s, and she's also been barren all of her life. Now, Abraham and Sarah knew how this works. We're not going to have any children children in this day was your heritage and your life and your lineage God comes to a barren couple who were elderly he says I'm going to make you into a great nation what do you think that those promises sounded like to Abraham that's impossible how do you do that don't you see my life don't you see the pain that we've lived throughout our life this is a dead end road that's the kind of That's what God's promises would have seemed like. Can you relate to that? As you think about God, the promises that God holds out to you in your life, have you ever looked at those and said, how can that be true? The circumstances don't match. There's no way for this in my life to work out like what you're saying. You see, this is is our reality. And so Abraham is looking at that. These amazing, huge promises God's holding out to him. What's Abraham got to do? He's got to believe. And he does. That's the significance of Abraham's life. He is staring at something that is impossible. That God has promised to him. And Abraham believed. And you know what he did whenever he believed? He went. He left and he went. Told very clearly here. You see, this significance of believing is a hard thing for us in the Bible Belt. You know, whenever we think about faith and belief, we think about just understanding some basic information in your head. Or we think of a one-time kind of belief. You know, we reduce it to the head. But that's not what the Bible's talking about whenever it's talking about believing. See, you always know what real belief is because it always flows into obedience. You see, Abraham believed God's promises against all the evidence contrary. And what did he do? He left. Why? Because, as the book of Hebrews says in uh, chapter 11, verse 8, it says, he considered him who promised faithful. That's the heart of it. He looked at God's promises. He looked at his circumstances. He said, this looks like no way. This looks impossible but I believe you. And so he went. See, that's the essence of faith. That's the essence of the Christian life. Is that you see these promises God makes to us in Jesus, and you bank your life on it. That's what belief is. You base your life on it. You gamble. You go all in. You're like, I might fall flat on my face, This might be disastrous, but I'm all in because I consider you faithful. That's what faith is. That's what we see in the life of Abraham. How was he able to go? How was he able to leave and walk away from everything? Because he banked his life on the promises of God. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. Taking God's promises he's made to us and saying... I'm basing my life on this. There's something else that's very crucial for us to see here. Not only the call, the radical call, not just the promise, but the mission. And it's easy to miss this one. You see, here, so important for us. I think especially in our culture. Because in our culture of iPhones and I this and I that, we think it's all about us. But it's not. It's about God's greater mission. Look at what God said. This is kind of the, the climax of this promise. Second part of verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. you. See, that's the greater goal. You see, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. But here's the end goal. So that all nations of the earth might be blessed through you. Abraham, you are going to be my instrument for getting my blessing to the world. See, that's God's heart. It's always been His heart. I mean, even here, even on the heels of Genesis 11, whenever it's as bad as it can possibly be, and yet God's heart is that somehow and in some way, my blessings go into the world. Somehow in some way, the nations will know me, and I will bring them to myself. And Abraham, you are going to be the instrument for that. You see, the whole Bible is God's mission. It's all about this great story of how would God not abandon his creation and yet get his salvation to the ends of the earth. This is at the heart of who he is. And this is at the heart of our faith. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary. That doesn't mean you got to leave and go to another place. It means that you, in your identity, are a sent person. That your life is not about your life, but about God's mission. That my purpose is that God's blessings upon my life through Jesus might flow to the world, might flow into Dade County, might flow into my neighborhood and into my workplace. You see, that is God's greater story. And that's what he's doing in the whole Bible. That is God's heart. That his blessings might go to the world. Now you can imagine Abraham hearing this. And being like, how? How? Through my family? Now that's the story of Israel in the Old Testament. That Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles. A light to the nations. But if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know they failed miserably. They failed. Why did they fail? Because the problem wasn't just out there. It was in here. His people failed. So what would God do? Are we on to plan B? No, even here. Even here God knew what it was going to take. You see, ultimately this passage is pointing us to Jesus. You see, throughout this passage God says, Through your seed I'm going to bless the world. Now seed is one of those words, it's kind of like, it can mean plural or it can mean singular. You know, in in this case it means both. So Abraham's thinking through my seed, through my descendants, through my family, you're going to bless the world, and that's true. But ultimately what God really meant was one. One descendant of Abraham. Through your seed, I'm going to bless the world. Through your seed, my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. This passage is pointing us to Jesus. The New Testament is so clear about that. You know, the the Apostle Paul in, in, in Galatians actually said that in this passage, God was announcing the gospel in advance to Abraham. This is the gospel. Because God is saying, through your seed, meaning Jesus... My salvation will go to the ends of the earth. My blessing, the righteousness of faith, will go to the ends of the earth. You see, it doesn't start in the New Testament. The gospel starts at the beginning of the Bible. And it was always about what Jesus would come and take all of these promises to Abraham and bring them to their fulfillment. Wait a minute. How, when's that going to happen? Look around in the room. This is it. We're the nations worshiping the seed of Abraham. It's already taken place. We are the evidence. And the Apostle Paul says that if you belong to Jesus, you are now Abraham's seed. You, we are adopted into his family. And we are now heirs of the promise to Abraham. As we're looking at these promises made to Abraham, those are promises for us. And that God calls us to the same mission he called to Abraham. Through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the earth. This is our identity. Abraham's story is our story. Let me just close with this. I think this invites us for some real direct questions in our life. I think, here, I I want to encourage us all to ask this question Where is God? calling me right now in my life, maybe in this moment, through His Word, to leave and go? Where is He calling you to get out and go? Now, for some of us, that might be an initial calling to come into relationship with Him. For some of us who know Him, it might be some particular area or place in our life where we're just hung up, we're like on the platform, and we're saying... I'm not going. I can't give this up. I can't let go here. But you don't understand, this is my identity. And God is saying to us, you've got to let go. You've got to jump. Because I promise you, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. You can trust me, but it's so hard to let go of control in our life. For some of us, it's just jumping for the first time. I get to talk to people all the time that are right there on that platform. And I see people all the time who either turn around and walk down the stairs, or they're just sitting there stuck. And they say, well, well, what about this question? How is this going to happen? How is that going to happen? What I say to them is, listen, you just got to jump. You're only going to know it on the other side. And that's true for every single situation in our life. How can I let go here? How can I trust you here? The promise is too big, the circumstances are, are are too dire. And God says, I'll tell you later. Just go. That's what he says to Abraham. You know, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. When? I'll show you later. I want you to go up on top of this mountain and I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham says, But what about the promise? How's it going to happen? Trust me, start climbing. That's our story in every scenario in our life. Let me stop there for just a second and give us a chance to interact. How does that strike you, move you, challenge you? How's God speaking to you in this? Let's hear from each other. Sarah.
2: And he was an Anglican pastor who struggled with same-sex attraction. And I remember someone asked him the question, like, how is the gospel good news to you if you're gay? Um, and I remember he answered kind of in two ways. The first one was, like, so much of what you were talking about with the call. Um, and he gave an example of two of two people in his congregation who were in a same-sex relationship and actually had adopted a kid. So they had a child and they were married. Um, and... He said, for them, it was obvious that their whole life would have to be turned upside down and that it would be messy and hard. Um, But he just kind of turned and was like, but if you don't think that's true for you, then you're not actually living in accordance with... Yeah. And so it was crazy. Yeah. It like struck me so hard because I think I very much was like, of course, it's the good news. But as I kind of thought about the details, I was like, man, it would be really hard for them. Man, it would be really inconvenient. Yeah. Um, and then I just realized how convenient the gospel is for me because I don't die to everything. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing he was is like, and you also must have a really small view of the gospel and how it is eternally good news. Yeah. Um, so it was just so good for me to hear, like, both I do have to die to everything <sighs> and I can encourage other people to die to everything when yeah. it's obvious, even yeah. though my dying isn't obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like I can trust in the promise that, like it is so mm. worth it. Yes. Even if it ruins my life right now. Yes. Um, and it's just yeah. cool to think, like, wow, we have that promise even in Abraham. Like yeah. Abraham did give up everything, yes. so we can encourage each other, no matter what your sin is or what you what you need to die to. Mm. Um, so it's just really beautiful to kind of marry those two with um, mm. with Abraham.
0: You know. Uh, Hebrews 11 summarizes this whole story of Abraham in powerful ways. But it says, Abraham left not knowing where he was going. But he was looking ahead to a city whose builder and architect is God. So it's this future-looking hope that is, is so taking hold of what's future. Now, Abraham never experienced it here. Here but yet was lo- living for something that is future. And I think there's, there's, there's so many areas, and I'm glad you bring up that specific issue, because there are certain things in our culture that we say, hey, this is just identity for a person. This is the most important thing in your life. You shouldn't be asked to give up in this area or that area. And the reality is, as we look at Abraham, is like, no, no, no. The essence of Christianity is losing everything. And we, especially in America, because we got a hold of a lot of stuff, we want to compromise it and say, no, 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 no. You know, you can have God and have all these other, all these other things too. And as we look at, at Abraham, he says, no. I mean, we might look at someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction and, and say, well, yeah, you know, you got to give up. But I love his His point is like, well, I do too. All the things that my heart falls in love with, like money and identity and reputation, all these other things, the essence of Christianity is get out of everything, and we lose that big time in our culture. Dustin?
3: Um, Yeah, so it it really resonates with me. I like how a father's house and a country and a land and a people... um, Like, we read that, and nothing about that jumps off as sinful, because it's not. Yeah. It's it's your family. It's your people. It's it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I think um, whenever I was first coming to Christ, this was a huge thing for me. I struggled with, um, you know, knowing that I'd have to give up sinful habits, but nowhere did it cross my mind that I may actually have to give up good things. Yeah. And the moment that I like tell people this was, this was the moment that I became a Christian was whenever it finally got in my head, and it was through a C.S. Lewis line where he says, give up your innocent desires as well as your guilty ones mm-hmm. um, so that he has all. Yeah. And then really shortly after that, I heard a, a sermon by Paul Nyquist um, where he talked about, you will only know Christ to the degree that you are willing to lose for him. Yeah. And then he named the things that he struggled with holding on to. And it was his job and his health. Yeah. Two good things. And finally it broke through. That gets that, up on us there. Yeah. <laughs> finally it broke through that maybe the thing that was keeping me from God. Was not the sinful patterns per se. But even the good things. Yes. That he had given me. Yeah. That he wanted me to enjoy. But that I held. Yes. Over him. Yes. Was the thing that
0: was keeping me from God. Yes. And that
3: kind of finally brought me to, to the point. The yeah. turning point. Is...
0: It's a beautiful point. He's not just saying let go of the bad things. He's saying let go of everything. And if you've never had that experience. We need to talk. Because. You don't know him. Because it, it's, it's just so. It is radical. And if you don't know the radical nature of it. If you've never come to a place. Where you had to get out from everything. I don't know that you know him. It's it's that fundamental. Let me close there and invite our musicians. To go ahead and come up and let me pray. Father, this is uh, this is challenging as we as I look at the life of Abraham. I'm, I'm immediately struck with how I want to hold on to things, how I want to go halfway. Um, Lord, how little I can believe your promises and how I want to, you know, hedge my bets. And Lord, I know that many of us are in that boat. And I just pray, Lord, that you, we would just, we would hear your call to us and that we would consider you faithful, that we would bank our lives on your promises to us in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.